the last splash. I bet you won't forget the episode this week. <laughs> I definitely won't. Oh, welcome everybody to episode number 69 of the Light Shed podcast. Brandon Ross, Walt Pysik, and Rich Greenfield coming at you from different locations. As you could see, Walt is in Cape Cod. You can't see where Rich is, but Rich, you, Rich, Rich is in Connecticut, having just gotten back from COVID Central um, in <laughs> Miami, dropping his daughter off at school. Walt also dropped kids off at school this week, and I am in Utah at my wedding venue doing this live from actually right next to the kitchen where I guess they'll be making the food for the weddings. Speaking of COVID Crazy. central, we have a breakthrough crate case on the light shed team. We just do proving that uh, as good as these vaccines are he, to be fair, Mark is not really sick. Like he's not like, you know, hospitalized sick. He's, but he's definitely <laughs> suffering from, from having uh, the COVID uh, after getting COVID. the vaccine months ago, months ago. Yeah. And Mark, had Mark had the Pfizer vaccine. It's actually interesting because almost everyone that I know that has had breakthroughs has had Pfizer. That's great because I have Pfizer, so I'm really, I'm really <laughs> making me feel great. Which is why I'm getting a COVID test today, even though I feel fine. I'm getting a COVID test after coming back from Miami, where mask compliance was really bad, as well, you would expect. I continued to go to shows last weekend and I continued to wear my N95s and KN95s. Thankfully, no breakthrough yet, although it was, you know, a little bit nerve wracking. And I guess we should let viewers know that and listeners that this is actually our second shot at doing the podcast today. The first was interrupted by a power outage. As I was in my hotel room, we were already literally wait, wait, ho- ho- hotel or motel. I'm sorry. What, it was a hotel. It was a hotel room. Sorry. No, I just wasn't sure whether the doors open to the outside or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was a real hotel room. The How area- far was your rental car from the front door of your room? Um, in approximate feet. Oh, that's a good question. Oh, I was on the fourth floor and my rental car was outside. So right below the, your fourth floor room? Not right below. It was in the parking lot. Yeah. It, it, it was it was a very a fine hotel to do work in today. Rich and Walter making fun of me because I was at a yeah. hotel clearly without a generator. Um, but everything's okay. We got the podcast going. And uh, (laughs) Joe just said the rental car probably cost more than the hotel room. Somehow the rental car this time was only like $40 a day. So I'm thankful because they've been like $200 a day this summer. Anyway, do we want to dive into it or do we have? Rich Rich was busy. It looks like he was tweeting based on those that are viewing the podcast. If you just hit rewind, you can see that Rich was already distracted I, I, by something and sending either sending a tweet out or sending an email out. Hi, Rich. Know, We're in the middle of that, a podcast right now. Welcome back. I know that Rich lost focus there. So I don't yeah. know if we're going to have to edit this hopefully out that was, later. that was important. Or that's why I was like, I guess we should just 
get down to business because then right you know, got him to pay attention. It was not an email. It was not an email. So, you know, but I, you guys can haze me either way because I know you guys love me. So why don't we just jump right in? Because I think the, the best place to start is with COVID. Obviously, you know, I, I think uh, Mark it, is an example. Home. Yep. Yeah. I mean, just because like I, we're starting to see uh, shows being, con- you know, concerts being canceled again. I mean, I guess it, probably not shocking to see VidCon canceled, given that it targets young people, especially people who probably can't be vaccinated are, are a lot of the YouTube stars and TikTok stars. But this was going to be an exciting VidCon because it was the first year that YouTube was knocked out of sponsoring. I mean, the, the, the event basically was a YouTube convention in its earliest days. It started by um, John, uh, John, by the Greens, essentially. And now you've got TikTok was taking over sponsorship for the first time. And of course, COVID has killed it. And so no VidCon in 2021. It will be sometime, hopefully, in 2022, assuming we can get back to fully normal at some point. But just a good reminder that we're just still not getting fully out of it. Don't, I don't think we're ever getting fully back to normal. And just an update ever. on... Ever. No, no, honestly, we never are. So we're just going to have to figure out how to, how to deal with COVID. And, <laughs> and, okay. and it I'll is what the it other is. side of that one. We're going to come back to that one. We'll bookmark that as an episode I'll, I'll, 69. I'll say statement. this. this no, 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 no. That's a I time will, capsule. That's a time capsule comment. Episode 69. Let me, let never me ex- getting let, back to it. Let okay. me explain, explain myself on that. I think COVID is here to stay. I think there will be different variants. It'll never completely go away. Is it going to be a situation where more people are vaccinated? We control it better. Um, There's much easier, faster treatments, such as it's more and more just like the common cold, but part of our everyday list of illnesses that people get. Yeah, it probably is. I don't, I mean, how do you foresee it going away on this globe where not everyone is going to be vaccinated? And I don't think that's what you and, said. It's not, if, if the common cold or the flu is still around, people's lives are, are going to go back to where they were in pre-COVID time. So your statement, which we can rewind and play back, yeah. was more about that, that how no, we're going to so like, go to events is going to change. No, no. No, so I said they... I no. What I said was, we're just going to have to learn to live with it. It's going to be here forever. Okay. So maybe you're saying I was a little hyperbolic. Yes, a, a bit hyperbolic. But like, like I, a lot I, of people these days about COVID. No, because no, but, I, but I will say I checked, this. Mark's not going to the hospital. No, 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 no. And, and people that are vaccinated are still not going to the hospital. Absolutely. Like if and your rates are going down and people in vaccine, like I was watching the Today Show and Savannah Guthrie, Guthrie's um, interviewing someone. She's like, you know, what about 50 percent of people being vaccinated? I'm like, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. So she's using the denominator of like every single person, including kids that can't get vaccinated. So is that the right statistic still, to use? So enough of the hyperbolic bullshit. No, no, no there's no hype. There's no hype, like real hyperbole towards that. There are 50 percent of the country that isn't okay. vaccinated, and that 50 percent is still at risk from she's COVID. Like, but she's no? going like, oh, 50 percent. Well, how do you, you know, how do you, so, like, okay, well, most of those people can. The reality is that 70 percent of people are vaccinated, and in some states, Who it's greater be? than 80 percent. Who can be? <laughs> Right. And and eventually kids will also be able to be <laughs> exactly right, which will lower the risk profile, but it's still going to be around. I mean, again, Mark is sick so right is now. Flu. Right. So is Mark flu. is sick right now. He had the vaccine. Right. And people Just, get the flu and get sick. 
Right. So just like the flu and cold, this is going to be around forever. But that doesn't change. Is that going to change how events are going to work forever? I didn't say that it was going to change how events are going to work. Maybe I misheard that. And by the way, it's very different this year than it was last year vis-a-vis events. Like events just didn't happen last year. This year, people like the show is going on. There's very few actual concerts. I know Garth um, canceled his, but most Mostly what you've seen from the industry is in is adopting by requiring vaccines or COVID tests, and that's it. And the, the show is going on. Well, speaking of the show going on. By the on, way, as an update, Live Nation, we talked about AEG and Live Nation last yeah. week, how AEG had not, uh, AEG had required vaccination. Live Nation had just suggested it. Live Nation hours after the podcast actually moved to the same um the same why time it, why is it always hours after the podcast like why is it every time well, we record on a friday we're afternoon do- we're friday doing the morning, podcast happens we're doing the podcast later because of the power outage this time well, so maybe there will be less that ha- news that breaks on uh, well the friday speaking, afternoon. speaking well, the of friday COVID, news dump rich that's what that's there's it's actually a term for it it's friday news dump speaking of covid unvaccinated uh, people or lack of uh, vaccination mandates and um, lots of kids. We've got Disney World, which obviously in Florida, there is no vax mandate. There is only an indoor mask mandate as well. But Disney World, um, which has been packed, I mean, literally, if you're you're listening to the conference calls on both Disney and Universal Studios, the, the resurgence in demand has been incredible of people wanting to go back to theme parks. Which is interesting because Disney at the same time, we talked about this on the podcast, I want to say like three months ago. It was funny because they were calling it in France at Disney World um, Paris. They were calling it Premier Access, sort of the same name they used for Disney's $30 premium access to movies here in the U.S. They were using that term for theme parks where they were charging. I bet it was in French, though. Maybe. I have no idea exactly how they called it, but I remember they were calling it Premier Access. uh, And... (laughs) And here they're calling it Genie, but the same idea. You're now paying extra for the fast pass system. As you know, it is gone. Now it's $15 per person per day to basically have the right to use a system that is like fast pass um, used to be. And basically just another way for Disney. Remember, I think about a year ago, they got rid of flat rate pricing and different pricing to enter the park based on the day that you're going. Now they're doing another way of sort of jacking ARPU by charging, um, you know, sort of their higher end guests to get access to skip the lines. Sort of reminds and, me of the And why industry. not? Yeah, no, that's I mean, that's what we said last time we discussed this. I mean, if you if you look at concerts now, if you want to be up front, it's going to you have to buy basically a VIP package. <laughs> Um, which is significantly more expensive than a regular ticket. And they're kind of scaling the house front to back um, at different pricing levels, depending on the artist. And every artist is doing this, including the artists that before would, you know, didn't want their fans to think less of them. So, so didn't do it. I mean, like and I'm sure people can- the dead has it, VIP packages now, like, Fish has VIP package. Everyone has VIP packages now. When Philly went to uh, the link from Veteran Stadium and Giant Stadium to whatever they call that place in the swamp now, you know these franchise fees changed the changed the dynamic. Yankee Stadium used to be fun to go to. Then they had 
remember they had all those really expensive seats right up front that people don't actually fill, which actually shows on screen. Um, you know, a lot of events that it's a, it's a, it's a limited thing. I get why, um, whatever events do this, the impact maybe to sports is greater because it impacts the, the atmosphere there, where maybe they don't care as much about the atmosphere, although they, you probably should care about the atmosphere, but if you have a bunch of really rich, expensive corporate suites right up, right up front in these, at these events, that's going to change kind of the feel for it. Disney same thing. I mean, it's just more about the, I guess this is the issue that we have in our country that a lot of people are talking about in terms of um, haves and have not kind of the separation. Correct. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. I mean, basically though, what you saw anyway was the secondary market for concerts and sports were kind of taking care of that beforehand. So it was natural just to move it to primary. I mean, if you wanted front row tickets or, you know, like, front of the house tickets and they were going for like 10 times the price on StubHub. Yeah. People who had them were incentivized to sell them know. that way. Somebody anyway. at the 50 yard line at the vet, um, he, he would sell one game. Um, Go to one, know, pay, sell pay, one. Pay, pay for the entire season. I think the overall atmosphere at Eagles games. Um, I agree with changed, that. Like every other sports stadium. But, but concerts, because most time they're kind of like one-off events right is is a little different than having like a season pass onward and upward we've got uh next we've got roblox uh brandon yeah so explain a little from TechCrunch, roblox acquires discord competitor gilded and so um we've discussed a little bit about how Roblox right now, the primary form of communication um, is text-based and that they're moving to things like video and voice. Gilded um, uh, offers video and voice. The other thing that it offers similar to Discord is is one-off events and meeting places. And as Roblox kind of like builds out- it's Metaverse. Cool. It's Metaverse. Cool. There we are. I, I wasn't going to I wasn't going to say metaverse. I, I had to 3D interactive space. <laughs> um, the, the there's going to be far more use cases than just the kind of experiences that are created by developers. And this is a way for people or a tool for people to to meet there. Importantly, um, Gilded is going to be a separate division, though, and it's going to still be offered to other games, experiences, and users. Um, but it will clearly be very, very tightly integrated um, in, into Roblox. The other it's, thing it's, that it's worth remembering that Microsoft tried to buy Discord, right? I mean, that was the deal that yep, didn't billion. happen, right? So they tried to buy a communications platform to layer on, whether it was Minecraft or whatever Microsoft was doing on the Xbox. It's just sort of interesting. They, that have, they, didn't they get do that have done. other communications platforms, right? Yeah, um, like the backwater Skype. of LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Skype, parts of um, LinkedIn. Um, uh, people are communicating in Xbox all the time. It was a natural fit. The other thing that happened this week for, with Roblox is they reported earnings. And it was it was pretty interesting to see that 
um, we, had, we had already had the April and May results. June came in a little weaker uh, than what people expected, but you've seen that um, the platform has come roaring back in July. July was up double digits in terms of both monetization and usage. Um, why, why is usage stepping up again? Like, what do you think is driving the usage up again? Um, well, there's a couple of theories. I think one is you're going to move to a more seasonal pattern on Roblox um, based on when school is in and out. And in June, a lot of a lot of students were back in in-person school. So that took away from some of the time on Roblox. The other very interesting thing um, in the in the report was the international growth is crazy um, at Roblox. You're really seeing a lot of markets um, that were much more nascent take off. Uh, do, do you remember when we first time, went out there? Remember when we first went out there and we saw the international map and we were like, how kind of blank it was outside of a few countries? Yeah, that was what, four or five years ago. Yeah. And so international growth is really taking off. They are aging up some, albeit I expect most of the age up on Roblox to take place as its core user base um, ages up. I don't think you're going to end. You'll have adjacent age groups that age it up. You're not going to probably have, you know, like 35 year olds suddenly, you know, start, um, start to make a huge impact on Roblox similar to what we saw from Snap. Okay, let's move on to uh, wireless and talk a little bit about California PUC, Walt. Well, this is really just kind of two tweets that we have on this slide, just talking about the tough week that T-Mobile has as my dog squeaks a toy in the middle of my podcast. I'm not sure why he has that. Um, so we've got a, a cyber uh, leak from t- millions of T-Mobile of customers. And at the same time, um, and during the same week, the PUC, um, that's the Public Utility Commission of California, um, had some statements on this battle that, that's occurring between DISH and, and uh, T-Mobile over um, T-Mobile turning off their CDMA network. And what was interesting in these reports and this PUC statement, they have quotes from, or at least paraphrase quotes from Neville Ray, the CTO, of T-Mobile saying that they plan to keep this thing on for three years and they don't need to turn it off in order to do 5G. So, you know, we'll see if that, um, we'll see if that actually impacts, um, you know, the FCC, the California PUC themselves were obviously can't alone stop a shutdown of CDMA. Um, but certainly this could have influence and provide more evidence to the, the FCC and ultimately the DOJ is going to make the call here. But I mean, on this on the data leak stuff, though, Rich, like, you know, we see data leaks so often. I think you were actually impacted as a T-Mobile customer. Um, sorry yep. to have your social security um, birth date and many other things. Um, that happened to me on is, Yahoo. You know, T-Mobile is <laughs> doing the doing the bullshit thing of like offering like McAfee, whatever. I, I, like, let, let me read you what it says, Walt. It says T-Mobile. I, I has don't a- even. It's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. It's embarrassing okay, what okay, these companies okay. offer. And I know T-Mobile listens. That's embarrassing. I mean, you just let people take 40 million people's their information and you're going to give them like six months of McAfee or whatever bullshit that is like, honestly, but whatever, let's get beyond that. Like the, the, um, you know, the issue is like, does anyone care? Like there's so many hacks that occur, like do consumers even care? They just look at it as another hack and like, okay, I'm going to stick with T-Mobile or it's not going to affect anyone's decision. 
I think in the early days, like I remember one of the early target ones, I think everybody did. I think they're so common now. We've sort of become numb to them because it's just, yeah. you sort of almost expect them to occur once or twice a year. Yeah. It's which crazy. Is sad. So I don't, so it's embarrassing. I think it's reflective of the fact that, look, integrations are tough. Like you could argue, oh, this could happen anytime. But like, look, there's a lot of shit that T-Mobile needs to take care of right now. And, and like stuff like this um, just kind of piles piles on. So, but at the end of the day, like as sad as it is, <laughs> data leaks don't seem to impact consumers' view of brands. So on to the next slide. So we've got two tweets tied to the film industry and sort of this do you put movies exclusively in theaters? Do you put them day and date on streaming? So we'll start with uh, one that we featured a long time ago, which was the producer of Dune, Dennis Villanueva. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Um, on Dune, which is going to debut on HBO Max and theaters day and date Nueve? later this year. Maybe you could be right. I, I really don't know. The enemy of cinema is the pandemic. I understand that the cinema industry is under tremendous pressure that I get the way it happened. I'm still not happy, which meaning how it was shifted to day and date. Frankly, to watch Dune on a TV is like driving a speedboat in a bathtub. So you've got someone who clearly hates streaming um, as a place to premiere movies, really believes in movie theaters. Then you've got one of the lead actor in um, Shang-Chi, which is Disney's coming Marvel film coming on September 3rd, which is going to be 45 days exclusive in theaters. Bob Chapek, who is CEO of Disney on the last conference call, basically called this shift back to theatrical exclusives. He called it an experiment, given what's happening with the Delta variant. The, the lead actor tweets out, we are not an experiment. We are the underdog, the underestimated. We are the ceiling breakers. We are the celebration of culture and joy that will persevere after an embattled year. We are the surprise. I'm fired the fuck up to make history on September 3rd. Join us. Now, the, the, the crazy part about that statement, which I, 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 I appreciate his enthusiasm and excitement. The, 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 the funny part is just given where we are in COVID, mask mandates now for movie theaters in New York. Um, I think France has mask mandates now for movie theaters. You're seeing sort of lockdowns in some, you know, uh, in Asia Pacific countries, like the odds that this movie is going to do anywhere near what it would have done pre pandemic are low. And so the question is, is a theatrical only release the best way to maximize the value, not the near term revenue, but maximize the value of this film? And I think that's what investors are going to be thinking a lot about is, is it a mistake not to offer alternatives to see this film, just given that there's going to be hesitation to be in movie theaters, especially a family film? Maybe this skews a little bit older than some of the animated titles, obviously, but still a family film that needs a lot of attendance and especially a lot of repeat attendance to do big box office numbers. So I think you can just see how tormented the industry still is over what the right strategy is as Delta gets worse and worse. I have a question for Mr. Villanueva, if that's how yeah. you pronounce his name. Oh, I have However, one also, but go on, Brandon, you first. My question to him, if he's listening, which he does not listen to our podcast, um, is was he going to not have Dune come out on any other um, format besides theatrical? Because it seems like he doesn't want anyone to watch his movie on anything but the big screen. Or was it okay to make the bulk of his dollars off of television, streaming, et cetera, et cetera, after the release? I was going to invite Mr. Villanueva to my home to watch <laughs> Dune on my OLED, uh, large OLED television and surround sound system. And might Not everyone argue, has that, Walt. 
That's true. But the TV prices are coming down and obviously TVs are very good. And I have a very comfy living room, as many people do in their own homes. One might argue that watching a movie in a theater now is akin to riding a blow up raft in the middle of the ocean. (laughs) I mean, look, not all theaters are all that nice either. I mean, it's sort of like uh, I'm sure the movie theater he goes to or his home theater that he has in his home or the theater he goes to in California may be an awesome theatrical experience. But a lot of people around the country do not have amazing. Yeah, they have those little split, those, those ones where they split down a real theater into two, and you're sitting there right. with this tiny little. Oh yeah, some of those suck. Yeah. Sticking to the ground, feeling like you're I, like middle. How about you let the consumer decide where they want to watch the movie? How about that? Imagine that consumer uh, choice. Consumer choice. Yeah. So uh, next, we've got two tweets uh, tied to Facebook. One is Axios, new. A new FTC complaint accuses Facebook of buying up potential competitors or thwarting their access to the platform. It's the FTC's second shot at alleging the company's an illegal monopoly after a judge dismissed its first lawsuit. Um, The reason I put the second tweet from um, one of the senior execs at Snapchat, Ben Schwerin, he tweets out, Constantinos Papamiltatis, I probably said that okay, I don't know, but I'm going to guess I did that okay who spent nine years at Facebook, will become vice president of platform partnerships at Snap. He'll help recruit more augmented reality creators, encourage companies to incorporate Snap's technology into their services. And the reason I juxtapose those two is because Snap is now a $100 billion company. It's growing rapidly. TikTok is exploding. Like There is so many signs that Facebook is not a monopoly. Has Facebook made a lot of acquisitions that have certainly increased its power and scale for sure? But my kids are not using you know, Facebook Messenger to message each other. They don't even use WhatsApp to message each other. They use Snapchat to message each other and they live every day on TikTok. And so just this idea that they're a monopoly, I just think is a, is still going to be a real stretch for the government because they're trying to define the market in a way that just anyone logically looking at the, at the environment wouldn't come to that same conclusion. I'd agree. I agree with that. I think it's already the case. First of all, there's no way to break up Facebook. How are, what are you going to do? Like separate out Instagram? <laughs> it doesn't make um, all that much sense, number one. Number two is you have to look at what stage these acquisitions are occurring at um, and this copycatting because a lot of it is happening in very, very, very early stage um, venture type businesses not big M&A, where they're seeing technology that might be disruptive and they're jumping on it. I just, but look, the, the, the single question is, is this an antitrust? Like, is there issues with them getting too big or too powerful? But, but the word monopoly is just a weird word when Snapchat's gone from, over the course of Facebook making all of these acquisitions, Snapchat has scaled dramatically. Usage has time has exploded. Yeah. Like, Facebook interestingly, anything- how about this, Rich? The fact that Mark says Facebook is now a metaverse company, right? And they yes. are not even close. I mean, I mean, they bought Oculus and they have that, you know, in huge embedded, obviously the biggest social network. But in terms of 3D interactive experiences, they're playing from behind to Epic and Roblox and Microsoft and others. So absolutely. I mean, that is, they are not, they're a not, gonna, they're not Ro- be Roblox to, is more of a, they're not, they're not going to be able to buy those companies anyway. So 
100% agree. I just think the government is just wasting Te- everyone's time. And te- technology is moving on and Facebook isn't necessarily in pole position um, for the new emerging no, technologies. But, but it reminds me. Snap and AR and we could go on and on. Yeah, and yeah. On. But it reminds me of when Walt and I first went down to D.C. in the early days of sort of the um, net neutrality you know, era. When we would do meetings, and it was very clear that most of the government didn't understand the way the internet worked, and it's just—it always feels like the government is several years behind. Maybe they should have thought about this five or six years ago, but like right now, it just—it just seems misguided, honestly. But uh, I assume that's just the state of regulation. I think um, it's a state of government. You don't have people who are technology experts, or for the most part, business experts in government. Brandon, you want to for read the, the most Spotify? part experts. Okay, Yes. Yeah. Well, well said, Well, Well said. Just not experts in general. Yeah, they're experts. This, at getting this is elected. your new catchphrase, Rich. You used this on earlier on a Zoom call we did. Well said. It's like, here, here, sir. Well said. Tut, tut. Uh, maybe this- I should get like, should I get like a button like Kramer? Well, well said. And just have it well be like said. a repeat. Yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Brandon, go ahead with Spotify and, the, and WWE. Spotify News. There's a new A-team in town. The Ringer is partnering with WWE to bring popular shows exclusively to Spotify and create new ringside audio entertainment. Find out all the details. So there's two ways to look at this. There's the Spotify side and there's the WWE side. WWE side, very simplistic. Um, since Nick Khan has come in and they've decided they're just going to be a content company, they're looking to partner with everybody and anybody and monetize the content that they have in any way possible. That's sort of the goal of the business. This is obviously way small compared to um, the television deals. Um, but then there's the Spotify side. Do you want to take that, Rich? Or well, yeah, the I mean, I think for, side of it. Yeah, because I think this is it, this really shows the continuing evolution. When they bought the Ringer, I think a lot of people could have looked at it and said, "Well, Bill Simmons, these podcasts are everywhere. They're not exclusive to Spotify. What's the real value?" Yes, you're in the you get to sell some ads, but you're not really forcing people to use Spotify. Like you can listen to the Ringer on Apple Podcasts. Like you don't have to use Spotify. But the big shift we've seen, whether it's Call Her Daddy, whether it's Joe Rogan, um, whether it's Armchair, what is it? Armchair? I can't remember the name of it with Dak Shepard, but it's that podcast. Like as you as you look at more and more of what Spotify is doing, they're moving towards exclusivity. They're really taking that page out of the Netflix book that the only way you can get access to this content is if you're on Spotify, giving more and more reasons and really targeting different demographics. Yep. Obviously, Call Her Daddy, Joe Rogan, WWE, like all of these things are different demos. And so I just think it shows how that Spotify strategy Different, is moving. Those, those demos all do sound like they overlap a little bit. <laughs> uh, but that they're, being they're said, so- for Spotify stock to really get going, though, they're going to have to demonstrate that this exclusivity leads to more subscription in addition or, or- to the ad business that is starting to to blow up a little bit. Get right. going. And I, I, right. And I blow think- Right. No, no. And I think more and more reasons to come to Spotify first, whether free or paid, is exactly what this is about. And so it starts to remember, you can't really differentiate yourself on music, but you can in everything that's non-music. And so I just think this is more and more of an example of them realizing how do you move market share, both paid subscription as well as advertising. And you do it through big exclusives 
maybe this isn't huge, but it just certainly plays along the idea that they've got to do more exclusives to win over time. The other way to move the stock in their view seems to be buyback. I thought it was yeah. very interesting that they announced a buyback this morning up to a billion dollars, I believe. Yeah, I think, I mean, the stock's down a tremendous amount from its peak when people were really excited about Joe Rogan and the podcast strategy, I think, because the podcast strategy has, I don't want to say disappointed, but certainly underwhelmed people in terms of what it's done. I think this is the company sort of saying enough is enough and stocks just got, the pullback's been overdone because you've probably been pulled back like, you're probably down, what, you know, 50, 50% or so from the high. Yeah, a little, like probably 40%. Okay, Walt, you want to talk C-band? So what Rich is showing on the screen is a headline from Comdaily, um, which is, you know, a DC-focused publication. Had a good, very good scoop talking about um, how Ver- Verizon and AT&T are warning about some complications of C-band. The reason this is important is you know right now T-Mobile is in the process of building out all of this spectrum that they bought from Sprint and Clearwire, um, and there's a window of opportunity for them. And Verizon, you know, spent 54 billion dollars on a very deep spectrum position. So this is kind of the first indication that maybe some of those launches are done are going to be delayed, uh, which would extend that window of opportunity for T-Mobile. So we'll see how that plays out. It seems like I, I read through it. Um, it seems like a real issue, although it's hard to know. The satellite companies, I think, at the end of the day, are going to try and move as fast as they can because they want to get paid. But it really goes back to how under the last FCC administration and kind of playing this role of in between, you know, the, the satellite guys and, and the industry, you know, the satellite guys didn't get paid as much as they wanted. And, you know, so now you're at a situation where like, okay, if they don't clean stuff up as quickly and they're claiming there's issues here and there. You know, maybe if they were properly incentivized, then maybe you'd have better compliance. But we'll see how that plays out. But then moving on from that, and and I think this is a bigger question, is there's another auction coming up. Um, The bidders were finally announced. And this is really just kind of the final confirmation that cable is not going to build as we thought that they might, or that we thought that they should. And specifically, in this most recent auction, both Charter and Comcast confirmed that they aren't going to be bidding in the auction. So Comcast bought like a very slim piece of spectrum in, in a low band auction from a while back and Charter's doing some stuff with CBRS. But at the end of the day, they just don't have enough spectrum to build an underlying network. So they'll just stick with this MVNO strategy. And, and the MVNO strategies, you know, they're still losing money uh, in terms of adding customers and well beyond what they initially said, like, hey, we're going to hit, hit X million customers to generate EBITDA. Why? Because they're paying Verizon a lot of fees. And, and those payments of Verizon are probably going to be going up. You're going to see that margin op- that margin get impacted. Why? Because you know, over the past year, people were indoors and, and going off of their Wi-Fi. And now they're going to go into back onto the Verizon network as they go out to these concerts or, or sports events or whatever it is. Um, so they're going to be using more just drive Verizon's. their car. Or just drive yeah. their car. Well, so, when you have when you have two companies, Charter and Comcast obsessed with stock buybacks and generating free cash flow, they can't even improve their upstream bandwidth um, to acceptable levels. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a right way of looking at it. That's a, that's a very good tie-in meaning that like fiber is coming and you're talking about how people don't care about uplink. And now on the wireless side of things, you've basically eliminated the optionality to build network underneath your MVNO strategy, which is not making any money. Uh, for you at the moment. And and you say it lowers your churn. 
which again is a metric that you don't report. So it's just okay. We'll see. We'll yeah. see where that leads. No, and it, look, I think, and it's interesting, right? Because I'm I'm now on Altice. I'm, I'm in Connecticut today, where I've got now. I mean, I'm I've got a gig symmetrical, and it's incredible. I mean, the the difference in quality. My ping time has gone from like 25 seconds to three, like millisecond. Like it's incredible how the quality of the service with the fiber to the really fiber right to my home has completely changed my perspective on bandwidth. So if T-Mobile or any anyone else brought ever brought a fiber to your apartment in the city and they offered you, you know, those types of fiber speeds and who's your city cable guy, Time Warner and Time Warner said, Rich, well, don't leave time, us. Time, time Warner is and charter, reliability. Charter, charter. Charter. Chart, Rich, don't leave us. We're going to cut your rate by 50% for the next two years. What would you do? Would you stick with the, the rate cut of the cable guy that's been screwing you your building for the last 20 years? Or will you switch to the new fiber that's coming into your building? Having lived with fiber now for a few days, I would switch to fiber anywhere it was offered at any price instantly. So let's get out of the ivory tower and just say the average American. Isn't this probably oh, yeah, true for the average American as well? The average you, American, I, this is the know. most, Come this on. is the most, no, no, no. My, the cost of the service is less than I was paying for cable. I'm paying for, less for now. But I'm, the scenario is that cable cuts to half the price of the fiber. In it's that working building. out, it's working out pretty well right now. I'm paying less money for, for, for the no, fiber. No, 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 Rich, forget about Westport. We're talking about the city in the example that I gave. The question is, you know, maybe you're building that's not the case, but let's go, you know, to other areas. Fayetteville, um, Arkansas. I don't know. Whatever. Why let's not even name any other town. <laughs> let's just say like, what, how many are they going to save by cutting price when this is, you know, hate to say it, but kind of a utility, like what, what's the most important things in the premises for most people to, you know. Well, it's a matter work. of what's good enough generally in, in those cases. Right. And is cable good enough? I mean, cable, it used to be cable for a lot has of been DSL was good enough. Right. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember a lunch Walt and I had with somebody who worked at one of the phone companies trying to convince us that DSL was going to be good enough. They maintained a lot of market share for a long time. Right. So what so what percentage of that market? And typically these when fiber rolls in a new market, they grab 35% with ease, um, whatever the economic situation is in that in that market um so we'll see if they, those numbers go up because the applications that, that are driving especially the need for uplink where the growth of uplink has been far greater than the downlink growth uh, well, let's just that. put it simply there has to be 30 to 40 percent of new york city that if offered fiber would take it in a second like actual fiber that would take it oh, that's, forget about new york city rich that's just anywhere anywhere are, fi- anywhere in the country you roll think. fiber in in front of a, a in, in a neighborhood you're going to get 35 percent i think fairly easy the question is is the next leg up 50 60 if cable is yeah. not going to it's not going to give you the uplink that's going to enable the applications that you're using today we'll say there's obviously a math equation for those who are who are rolling out fiber who are digging up the ground and investing yep in that way and those that don't have to dig up the ground like starry right where the economics right. are better or a wireless guy who's put a shit ton more spectrum in a cell site that's within a half a mile or a mile of your house. Those economic considerations are even different. 
You could say like, that's the funny thing is they used to say like, oh, it's not economic for a wireless guy to do it. Actually, now it's more economic <laughs> because of all the spectrum um, that they have. And we'll see if they can focus it and deliver you the quality of service. Because certainly the uplink on a lot of these wireless connectivity options today are better than what cable is delivering to most people's homes today. Well, I don't want to say most. Seems like most, but many people's right. homes today. I'm sitting I, on I a- think many. I think many, Walt. I, I think you're in the, the majority is what you're experiencing today. Let's move on. Okay. So we've got this story out of Hollywood Reporter. This was news that broke, I think, on Monday or Tuesday this week. Comcast and Viacom CBS to launch Sky Showtime streaming service in Europe. Remember, there was a lot of leaks of like this Comcast might be eyeing Viacom CBS, who might be buying them. The reality is, I think a lot of the noise that was created was probably around this sort of European joint venture. But it, again, this is a European joint venture, not in the places of Europe that you're thinking about. So even though it's called Sky, we're not talking about the UK. We're not talking Germany. We're not talking Italy, Spain. We're talking about launching a JV streaming service in Bosnia. Like that's literally the types of markets we're talking about. So places that literally they don't want to really go on their own. They don't want to invest the dollars the way a Netflix or an Amazon or even an Apple TV plus want to sort of build on their own or even Disney plus wants to build on their own. They're basically saying in those smaller markets in Europe, they're going to JV it. It sort of seems weird because at the end of the day, like once you're global, how much do you have to really invest in these individual markets? Like it's not a lot in these markets. I, I would imagine at least to, to, to at least have some subscribers to make yourself global. It just makes it harder and harder to call yourself truly global if you're in JVing in certain countries. So it, it, to me, it just sort of speaks to the fact that neither Peacock nor Paramount Plus are really ready to invest the dollars to be global, which just raises the whole question of like, why are they really even bothering versus just being an arms, a content arms dealer if they don't really want to be global services? Like, it just seems like sort of like, if you don't really want to go global, why do this? It's sort of like using channel stores. We've talked about like, why use the Amazon channel store? If you really want to go direct to consumer, go direct to consumer. All of these other things are sort of like interim steps and sort of like, I don't know, it's almost like, it's like half-assing it. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um. Let's move on because you guys uh, seemed calm at that. I think, calm. I think you were spot on. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I think for this particular one, you're not going to be calm, Rich. You go ahead. Why don't you read it, Brandon? I'm going to read it off. for you, because, but this is one of your favorite topics. This is from Alex Sherman. Fubo TV CEO David Gandler thinks 40 to 50 million Americans will eventually buy a bundle of linear networks from a digital provider. So let's just be clear. There are 11 million people with a VMVP today. Yep. It's, up, it's up less than 2 million. The number has barely grown the last couple of quarters. Some VMBPDs are losing subs. Some are adding very few. Some have closed down. Like the industry, which was like a skyrocket to 10 million, has dramatically slowed from 10 million. And it's really because the economics of being in the VMBPD business don't work very well. Like you don't make money. You're trying to scrape a few dollars off of advertising. Now Fubo is trying to call sports betting the savior of this business, but it's just not a very good business. And so can you such, add a few hundred? Such, such that let's let's get back to what the differentiation points are between VMVPDs and wired MVPDs, right? The first one was different bundles and lower. It was pricing. supposed to be. Well, it was supposed to be different bundles. It was right. But go on. This I said it's like the original 
right? right? Yep. So the the original was differentiation on the bundles and pricing. Price. What yep. you've seen over time is that discrepancy melt away. And mm-hmm. prices have gone continually higher for VMVPDs, and the bundles have generally gotten to be bigger. I know some like Sling have, you know, kind of stuck to the smaller bundle. So the, that point of differentiation hasn't hasn't really materialized. The other is the experience, and I will say this: the experience of a virtual MVPD is significantly better than that of a wired MVPD. So over time, because of that, with all else equal, do you see a share shift moving? Um, assuming yeah, there Brennan. are forty or fifty million that you know stay as MVPD customers, do you see a, sh- a share shift occurring, or do you think that VMVP just tops out at fifteen twenty and then it's kind of over? That's the big question. I don't feel like the. I don't feel like the. Um... The broad consumer on your second point, I don't feel like the broad consumer base fully appreciates that. Yes, yeah, yeah. meaning that that I think most people you would talk to wouldn't conceive that um, YouTube TV is going to be much better for them than the shitty FiOS box that hasn't seen an upgrade in, in forever long. And so, so there might be some inflection point when that happens. Maybe a real lack of-, of consumer education. This isn't surprising with you know Google marketing, which is. Right generally um lackluster I, <laughs> right but uh, i would but say there'll be other options and i think that will that will and then secondly you know, as things kind of fall apart let's call it that there might be another opportunity for the skinnier bundles to reemerge and to that to address different parts of them just because it hasn't happened up to this point doesn't mean that as things continue that the skinny bundles um content owners become yeah, I mean, as, as things crumble, then you get more desperate. Like everyone's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe AT and T didn't envy you know with Dish." Well, they fucking need revenue, and it was a great you know win what, over T Mobile. I don't think the, that the, happens a, because of the content shift that's occurring anyway. I mean, maybe uh, may, maybe it will be offered, but most of the good content, including sports well, content, yep. is finding its way into Whoa. these AVOD and SVOD services. Well, speak of the devil, Brandon. Like, think about the things that are going to streaming only. We've talked about everything general entertainment. Like, there's no show. Like, I'm watching uh-huh. Serpent. I'm watching Serpent, which someone just told me was awesome. I watched episode one last night. All general entertainment content is now streaming only. Like, there's really nothing brand new hitting linear TV that you would care about that's entertainment-wise uh, relevant. You've got sports. We've talked about it ad nauseum. More and more sports moving to streaming. You're seeing that day by day. Amazon obviously doing Thursday Night Football. But then we've got Nick Turner, this newsy Nick um, tweet. And so it begins for the first time, a major awards show will be streaming only. Country Music Awards, which were on ABC and before that on CBS for decades, um, are now going to Amazon only. And so to me, it's just like every day, the content in the bundle is getting worse. The prices are going up. I don't know. I mean, I just think... The, the number of people that are going to subscribe to multi-channel television is just dropping every single day. Like the day that Disney wakes up and says ESPN plus now becomes what is ESPN. And you can get that directly, whatever the price point is, whether it's 20 or 30 or whatever the number is. I just think that starts eating into that 40 to 50 million. So I, I just don't think you ever get to 40 to 50 million homes because I think by the, everything starts to crumble. And it, as it crumbles, there's not going to be it. much of a, 
there'll, there'll be some very small, hardcore group of subscribers who like love the bundle. And I'm sure just people still have AOL email addresses. So like, it's not going to zero. Uh, right. People still have Netflix DVD subscriptions. They, they do. But I, I just think that the idea that there's going to be 40 to 50 million homes with a VMVPD bundle, well, a challenge. You know, part, part of it is there's still a lot of content that's on broadcast, right? Especially sports and events content. I know this was kind of an exception. Do you think that that broadcast content largely stays exclusive? Because then it's a matter of convenience of whether people want to use an antenna or not. I I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, things are changing so quickly. Um, You know, the NFL is obviously stuck to broadcast because of its reach. That's why a lot of By the way, stuck that's to, what I was, to broadcast. That's, that's obviously what I was talking about. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, I, I, I've read what you were, where you were going. I mean, look, the NFL has locked itself in, but they also gave themselves an escape hatch at the end of the they decade. Did. So that is true. Yeah. And I think that you, when you talk to Roger, Nine years Goodell, when you talk to Roger, when you talk to Brian Rollup, they say that that escape hatch was critical in their minds because they don't know what the world is going to look like in that, you know, nine year time frame, And so this gives them optionality. And so I don't know, I, I'd be hard pressed to believe 40 to 50 million seems like a real stretch given the way things are changing right now, but we'll see. Uh, let's move on to another sports related um, surprise. Brandon, I think you're, you're probably the best card collector in the group. This is probably shocking. <laughs> maybe when I was, maybe when I was a kid, um, but this um, two tweets on the same topic here, one from the Sports Business Journal. Tops this morning announced that it is terminating its merger agreement with Mudrick Capital Acquisition Corporation II, a SPAC that had valued Tops at $1.3 billion. And that is a result of the second tweet from Jeff Passan. This is a huge deal in the collectible world. The MLBPA and MLB struck an agreement with Fanatics to be the exclusive baseball card licensee for the sport, pushing tops out of the business in the coming years. I think that that year is 2025 um, in four years from now. Um, But I mean, Holy but I think cow. of tops. I think of tops and baseball cards as like as synonymous. Synonymous. How does? Yeah. First of all, my first question is, how does tops let this happen? Mm-hmm. Like, what is tops without baseball cards? I know they have the NHL and they have chewing of, gum. They have chewing and, gum and some soccer stuff. And yeah, they own bazooka, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's number one. Number two, fanatics is in under the radar powerhouse right now first of all its valuation is that very few people seem to be talking about 18 billion dollar valuation they are expanding their tentacles out of um out of merch pretty quickly um we saw that they were a bidder for as um in new york sports betting as part of a consortium we saw that matt king who was running um fanduel Uh, came over um, there. It's a lot going on, and clearly they're they're being pretty aggressive to to spread their sphere of influence in the sports and entertainment world. My guess is we're going to be talking about Fanatics as a public company over the course yeah. of the next couple of oh, years. Oh yeah, for, for sure. sure. 
Um, let's go to our last tweet, Brandon, um, which I think, uh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'll this fix is- that. Let's go to our last tweet, uh, which I think, Brandon, you will uh, appreciate. Which is from I don't know who this is. Jason Sohaile Asgari. He tweeted out, we've got an exclusive preview of the OnlyFans update after they get rid of what they are known for. And it is a picture for those that are listening to this. We've got a picture of about a dozen um, actual fans, (laughs) (laughs) which is uh, sort of funny because you think of sort of OnlyFans is so synonymous with the creator economy. Um, maybe the less uh, safer work part of this creator economy. And they're clearly doing a lot of things to move into the safer work category. But this was sort of a shocking announcement. I don't think anybody saw this coming, literally getting yeah, rid you of it. You want to talk about pivots. This is the pivot of all <laughs> of all pivots. Um, and it's been like the level of you know, revenue and profitability that's been reported in the media is pretty significant um, for this type of shift. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to we'll, see what we'll happens see how in the company. It works out. Right. Because I think October is the day when they change. It'll be really interesting to see that they've obviously been ramping. I mean, people like Cardi B, who are, you know, quote unquote, safe for work content that'll still be allowed. They've been huge successes on the platform and they're clearly trying to take on Patreon. They're clearly trying to gun for this safe to work. The question is, how big can they be without what they were known for? And what will that yeah. do to the platform? Because this week, we, they, also, this, they, they also launched this week a separate app that is like an AVOD-like platform. There's no advertising yet, but it's basically a best of the, the safe for work content now as part of a separate app experience. So they're clearly trying to move in that direction. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> I, I'm sure they have designs on being a public company and you know getting safe for work is probably part of that um we'll see it's going to be very interesting to watch this any plans for the weekend brandon while you're out in utah or you're you're heading to oregon from utah yep what's That's, in utah what's in utah well my my wedding stuff's in utah oregon just i don't know working just fine. seeing some different scenery And Walter is in Cape Cod and saying goodbye. That was episode number 69, ladies we've been and gentlemen. Wait, we've been waiting all year for episode 69. <laughs> so we could play this song, of course. Have a Have great a weekend, weekend, everyone. Bye.